right. Good morning. You guys awake? Yes, sound awake. Well, um, yeah, good morning. My name is Rick Smith, and I have the privilege of serving here on staff at Watermark on the equipping team, and it's always good when they let you come back two weeks in a row. It means you didn't say anything really crazy, and so thank you for letting me come back. Um, I want to start off this morning by sharing, this is what I call the magic genie verse with you guys, okay? You might have heard this verse before. This is a magical verse that sometimes people take out of context. I call this the magic genie verse, and this is the verse that you can say it, You can kind of rub this verse, and then all of a sudden, something magical happens. This verse is Philippians 4.13. And the verse says, I can do all things, all things through Christ who strengthens me. People put that on the back of t-shirts. People uh, tattoo that on their arms. And some people take this out of context to mean that if you're five foot five, you can magically do all things through the Lord Jesus who strengthens you, and you can dunk that basketball. That's a, you can't. Um, And so for me, if I'm thinking about that verse and going, man, what would be that one thing, that one magical thing that I could do if indeed I could do all things through Christ who strengthened me, what would be that one thing? Would I dunk a basketball? Would I run a 4-4-40? Would I be dad of the year? No, it it would be none of those things. If I could indeed do one thing through Christ who strengthens me, this is what it would be. Let me show you right here. I brought a picture. It's gonna come up. This, I would be able to see the image in the magic eye picture. Who in this room cannot see an image in the magic eye picture? You've tried, okay, I'm not an optometrist, okay? And there may be an optometrist here today, but if you cannot see the image there, you could have binocular and stereo vision impairment, okay? Don't Google that like I did last night, or you're gonna have to, you're gonna scare yourself, okay? But these magic eye pictures, Ever since I was a kid, I I think I've only been able to see these a handful of times. Can anybody see the image there, by the way, of what that is right now? What is it? I don't know. That'd be amazing if it was a cross. I didn't plan that. I have no idea what that is. (laughs) But I want to see it. You know, I want to know. I, you know, like, I want to be able to look at this. For those of you who don't know, you're supposed to be able to look at these images and, and you look at it a certain way and all of a sudden the New York City skyline pops out, okay? I like New York City. I want to see the New York City skyline, but I, for whatever reason, have a hard time seeing the magic eye picture. I would like to. You see, because at one moment, you're looking at this picture, and for those of you who can see it, suddenly, you look at it in a certain way, and the perspective changes. And all of a sudden, you don't see this picture full of chaos and disorder. You see this incredible masterpiece, if you will. You see this picture out of chaos. You see, when perspective changes, it's like a light switch. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. And I think a lot of times it's like that with what we think about Jesus. You know, a lot of times, depending on your faith background, you grow up thinking one thing about Jesus, one thing about God's word, and then all of a sudden, through, um, through just grace, Uh, God allows you to see something altogether different. And so this morning, if you have your Bible, I want you to open it up to Mark chapter 1. And what we're going to do, we're going to look at a different perspective on Jesus. We're going to see a different perspective on Jesus. And if you have your Bible, Mark chapter 1. And the very first thing we're going to see is, um, one second here. 
we're going to see that um, we're going to see three things. We're going to see the very first thing that Jesus touches the untouchable. That Jesus t- touches the untouchable. And so, verse forty, it says, "And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, if you will, Jesus, you can make me clean.' And if you know the context of the passage, Jesus has been healing people." He's been on a, on a mission going around telling people and showing people what the Father is like. And so he's been doing miracles. And so it would make sense that this leper would come to Jesus and say, would you heal me? You know, sometimes when we think of lepers, uh, I think sometimes in our mind we think that they just have a really bad skin disease. That they just have a bad rash. They have a really bad case of eczema. Um, if you know much about leprosy, the scripture tells us in Leviticus 13 that people with leprosy, they weren't just unclean, right? If you had leprosy, you, just, you didn't just have a bad rash. You, you had to wear torn clothes. You had to let your hair hang loose and your beard be unkept. When you went into a room, if a leper was here today, he would have to walk in this room and go, unclean, unclean. He would have to yell out to all of you, I'm unclean. It'd be embarrassing. It'd be, it'd be shameful. They had to live alone. They had to live in isolation outside the camp, away from their community. In fact, leprosy brought with it a variety of physical, mental, social, and religious consequences. It was horrible. You were, if you had leprosy, you were an outcast in the worst way. And so here you have this man, this outcast, this guy that nobody would touch, coming to Jesus in his most most vulnerable, his most shameful, his most embarrassing time, probably expecting Jesus to treat him like everybody else, an outcast. And he comes to Jesus and he says, hey, I'm untouchable. I'm I'm unclean. Nobody wants anything to do with me. I'm broken, but I've heard about you. I've heard about you, and, and I think you're the only one who can help me. I don't know if you can. I don't know, well, I don't know if you will, but I know, I know you can. And in verse 41, what's amazing is that Jesus, Jesus heals the leper. Now, that's amazing in and of itself, but that's not the point I want you to think about this morning. He heals him. That's amazing, but he does something else. Don't miss this. Jesus could have healed this leper with a word, right? We know that about Jesus. He could have said, you're healed. We've seen Jesus, if you know your scriptures, he's healed people without even being there. He said, the guy's healed across town. Jesus could have just healed this guy with a word. But in this amazing act of grace and compassion, it says that Jesus reaches out and he touches him. And he touches him. Think about this. There's no telling how long it had been since this guy, this leper, had been touched. No one in recent days, maybe recent years, had ever high-fived this guy, had ever given him a fist bump, had ever held his hand in prayer. It had probably been years since anybody had hugged this guy. You know, science, I read a study, science tells us that a human being can identify love and gratitude and compassion from a touch. And there's no telling how long this leper had experienced any of that, any human interaction. In this amazing act of grace, Jesus reaches out and he touches him. You know, Michelangelo says to touch 
He said to touch is to give, is to give life. You know, if you were in this moment, what you would see is that Jesus changes to everybody's perspective. Everyone else, no one else would touch this guy. And everyone assumed Jesus is not going to touch this guy because if Jesus touches this guy, they're going to say he's unclean. If Jesus touches this guy, he's going to do something no one else does. And Jesus goes, let me show you, I don't operate in the way that everyone else does. I'm God in human form, human flesh, and I'm going to touch him. I'm going to touch the untouchable. And you know, Jesus, Jesus is wanting to touch us in grace and compassion in our, even in our most shameful moment. You know, I I told you, you know, I had two kids, a five-year-old and a two-year-old. I remember one time our our oldest son, Noah, we, we were driving, this was years ago, and and all of a sudden, I hear this, this sound in the back seat. It sounded like coughing. And I looked in the back seat, and he was throwing up. Now, not the kind of throw up that's, like, gross and, like, oh, man, that's really gross. It, it was like, it, all I can say is it looked like a scary movie. It was projectile. It was like, I don't tell you that to gross you out in the morning. It, it made me fearful. I thought, man, my, like, what is going on with him? I was, like, scared. It was, it was, it was just sounded horrible. And I remember pulling back making a UE, going back to my driveway, and, and this little boy of mine was just drenched in his own vomit, and he looked lethargic, he just looked sick, and, just, and I just grabbed that little boy out of the car seat in his mess, and I just wrapped my arms around, and I took him inside, and I cleaned him, and I, I wasn't concerned about his vomit and his throw up getting all over me, because I'm his daddy, and what I wanted him to know, that even in his mess, even in this, he, I'm sure he was afraid, he didn't know what was going on. I just want to go, hey, buddy, look, I, I love you. Your dad is here. Your dad's going to help you. You know, and you just think about anybody in this room, you would do the same thing for your son. You've done that for your son. And you just go, man, if we would do that in our imperfection, in our imperfectness, how much more would the father come down to us and go, man, look, I just want to wrap my arms. I see you. I see you in your mess. Here's the crazy thing. I know everything that you're doing, and you're still here. You're alive. I haven't wiped you off the earth. I love you. And so if you're here this morning and you feel maybe like that leper, like an outcast, shameful, your most vulnerable moment, what you need to know and what you need to be reminded of is that Jesus isn't afraid of your mess. Jesus isn't scared of whatever you've got going on. And what he wants you to do is to run to him and say, will you heal me? I know you can. Will you heal me? So if you feel untouchable this morning, guess what? You got good news. Jesus sees you. And he wants to heal you. But not just does he touch the untouchable, he has a heart. He has a heart for our heart. This is the story of the paralytic. Look with me at Mark chapter 2. And um, so Jesus is, again, healing all these people and doing these incredible things. And it says, verse 1, when he returned to Capernaum, that was kind of their base. That's kind of where they were operating out of. It was reported that he was at home. And so many people gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. So you got these guys, you got to think about this. You got this guy that was bedridden. And he had heard about Jesus. He said, man, there's this guy, Jesus, he's doing amazing things. And he tells his buddies, hey, could you take me to see him? And there's no cars back then. There's no SUVs. So his four buddies, his community, grabbed this guy's bed. And they carry their buddy, four guys, I can just imagine them on each side of the mattress, carrying their buddy who can't get out of the mattress across town, not knowing, are we even going to be able to see Jesus? 
is he even going to be available? I mean, everybody wants to see him. Are we going to have a shot? And by faith, they carry their buddy on a bed to see Jesus. They get there and the house is so crowded, they can't even get in to see him. Can you imagine the disappointment, the frustration? And his buddies go, hey, you know what? No, we came to see Jesus. We're going to see Jesus. And so they, they do something crazy. They go in through his roof and you go, man, that, that's crazy. They destroyed his property. Well, that's not how the, the houses back then, they didn't have to cut a hole. They, they just took the roof off. They had these roofs that would come off and they said, we're going to take you to see Jesus. And so they bring Jesus down. And they put, they put the paralytic in front of Jesus. And, and I'm sure they go, hey, can you heal our buddy? He can't walk. His deepest desire is that he was walk. And Jesus does something crazy. Because you go, of course he could heal him. He just healed a leper. He just healed untold numbers of people. Of course he's going to heal him. And he goes, son, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. You know, you read that story, and you go, why would Jesus do that? Why didn't he just heal the guy? You see, because Jesus knew that, you know, that the main problem in a person's life is never their suffering. It's their sin. That's what Tim Keller said in this book. See, Jesus just healed all these people. It seemed like a sure bet Jesus would heal this. And Jesus goes, hey, my main concern for you is your heart. It's always your heart. Your biggest problem isn't that you can't walk. Your biggest problem is that you have a hard, your hard heart. You know, Tim Keller also says, he, he quotes a writer in his book, and he says this, that I think when God wants to play a really rotten practical joke on you, he grants you your deepest wish. You know, this is what was going on with the paralytic. Jesus wasn't going to just give this guy his deepest wish. He wasn't just going to heal the paralytic and then the paralytic think that everything was okay with his life. Jesus knew that the paralytic needed something far more than a healed body. He needed a healed heart. And that, that's true for all of us in this room today that, that Jesus doesn't just want to grant our deepest wish. He's not just a genie in a lamp. He wants to heal our heart. You know, I told you last week about our son Noah who has Down syndrome. And a part of that story that I don't share a lot is that, um, you know, when we brought Noah home from the hospital, we were dealing with this, just a lot of emotions of having a son with special needs. And we're home and we're trying to readjust to having Noah at home. And our doctor calls and said, hey, can you come down to the office? Uh, We want to talk to you about the results of this, this newborn screen test. And I'm like, what does that mean? And so we get in the car and go down to the office. And apparently when your kid is born, they do a, just a test and check for all these really rare metabolic issues. And they said, hey, when we tested Noah's blood, he came back positive or, you know, this test showed a positive for this thing called gluteric acidemia type 1. And I was like, what in the world is that? And they said, this has nothing to do with Down syndrome. This is completely unrelated. In fact, if Noah indeed has this, we have to send it off to um, some, some really, you know, unique labs because of the condition. If he has this, he would be the only person possibly in the history that we know of, of, the, of anybody, to ever have Down syndrome and this other thing. It would be like hitting the, the um, genetic jackpot. And, you know, they're like, Oprah's going to be calling you guys. Like, it, it was just crazy. And I was like, no, that's not, no, that's not what I want. And so they said, go home. It's probably going to take about three months for us to get the results back. And if you know anything about me, man, I'm just not a patient person. 
struggle with control, I struggle with anxiety. And man, that just, that just set my heart and my anxiety into a frenzy. So I went home, my wife in the car, she's a pediatrician. And I looked at her like, what in the world is that? And she's like, Rick, really seriously, like sometimes we joke, like don't Google it. And she looked at me and was like, hey, would you promise me that you won't go online and look this up until I have an opportunity to share with you what that's about? And so I was like, okay, if you say, okay. And I didn't, and she brought me some stuff, and she said, I want you to read this. And I read it, and I, and I just remember going, Abby, this, this seems serious, you know. And so with this, this metabolic issue, you, you die. There's no cure for it. With Down syndrome, at least you can live. This other thing, you can die. And I remember going, great. I remember this series of praying going, God, that's what you want? You give me a son, you give him Down syndrome, and now you're going to kill him? Now you're going to let him die? This is crazy. And just going, God, this is, this. you say you'll never give us more than we can handle. I think this is more than I can handle. Like, you're going to take my son away? And I remember just praying and just, I can't even remember how many days, of just crying at night and just going, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I remember distinctly one night praying in my house, in my room, by myself, just on my knees and just going, God, look, I, I can't continue like this. I can't continue to look at my son and just wonder, what if? What if he has this? What if he's dying? Part of the condition was when you eat food, uh, that food doesn't come out the right way, and so eating can actually kill you. And so, but I had to feed my son, and so I'm like, every time I feed him, I could be killing him, but I have to feed him for him to live, and it was just distraught. I just said, God, I need you to help me. I need you to somehow supernaturally help my heart be okay, that if you decide to take my son home, if you kill my son, if you allow him to die, I need you to help me be okay with that. I don't want to just keep praying for you to heal him because you may not. I need you. I need my prayers to change. And would you heal not my son, would you heal my heart and help me to be okay with whatever you got? Because if he ends up having this, I don't know what I'm going to do. And, and I don't, and somehow, some way, God in his grace went into my heart and he changed it. And, and, and I don't know that I just woke up doing jumping jacks, excited, but there was some sort of crazy peace in my heart to go, hey, no matter what happens, no matter what happens, God is sovereign, God is good, God is in control, he sees things that I don't, and I have to trust him. That's my only option. And the, the, the results of that test ended up coming back as a false positive. They say, hey, the first positive, that ended up being a false positive. But I'm convinced, I, as much as I can be, that what God wanted for me, he wanted my heart first. He wanted my heart. And so I ask you today is, does God have your heart? Maybe you've been praying for something for a long time. Maybe you've been praying for something for a long time. And God wants to answer your prayer. And he goes, hey, but before I answer it, I want your heart. I want, I want everything about you. I just don't want to be a genie to you. I want you to know, really know, that I'm sovereign and that I'm, and that I'm good. In Tim Keller's book, he tells a story of Houston's, and he talks about um, this guy who had turned into a dragon. And he says this on verse, um, or page uh, 30. For the book. It's, this guy turns into a, gra- a dragon and he's trying to get the skin of the dragon off of him and says, one day the great lion Aslan shows up and he leads him to a clear pool of water and he tells him to undress and jump in. And all of a sudden he realizes that undress means to take off the dragon skin. This guy had the skin of a dragon and he was trying to get it off and he couldn't. 
And he begins to gnaw and claw off the scales. And he realizes that as hard as he tries, he cannot shed his skin. Working at it, he finally peels off the skin. But underneath, he finds he's got another dragon skin. And he tries a second time. And he tries a third time. And the same thing happens. More and more and more dragon skin. And the lion looks at him and says, you're going to have to let me go deeper. You're going to have to let me go deeper. And then he goes on and he lets him go deeper. And, and, and the, the lion, who we know to be Jesus, comes in and he takes the skin off. See, that's what we got to do. We got to continue to give our life to Jesus and say, hey, you, you have me. And even when I think I'm deep enough, even when I think you have all my heart, you need to go deeper. And so I ask you this morning, does God have your heart? And I think the very first thing that you always got to say when you talk about God having your heart is, do you know him? You might have been invited here um, by a friend, and you might have grown up in a church for a long time, but does God have your heart? Do you have a relationship with God? You know, that means that there's come a time in your life where you understand there's a God and it's not you, that your sin has separated you from God, and you can't go to enough early morning Bible studies to get right with God. You can't give enough money, sing enough songs. The only thing that you can do to be made right with God is trust in Jesus Christ's provision on the cross for your sin. And he goes, man, if you believe in that, everything else will work out. But the very first thing I want to know isn't can you walk, paralytic. It's that do you know me? Do you have a relationship with me? And so that's the question I ask you this morning. Do you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? And if you do, and you go, yeah, I am a believer, then I ask you this question, does God have all your heart? Is there an area of your heart that you're holding on to? Some area of control that you're holding on to that this morning, God, in his love and in his grace, says, hey, let me take my loving, not claws, but hands, and help you peel that back because you can trust me. But not only can you trust God, not only does God touch the untouchable, but his timing isn't our timing. You know, you read six verses over and the paralytic was healed. Just six verses later, the paralytic was healed. And so for the paralytic, there was only six verses of waiting. Six verses of wondering, will Jesus heal me? I came all this way. I trusted in this guy. I put all of my eggs in this basket, so to speak. And is Jesus going to really come through for me? You know, waiting isn't fun. But waiting is just a part of life. And then six verses later, Jesus heals this guy. You know, for some of you, it's not six verses that you've been waiting. It's 20 years and counting that you've been waiting. You know, you go, man, I've been waiting and praying for a clean bill of health for the last 10 years. When is Jesus going to come through for me? You know, I've got a wayward son or daughter who has not walking with Jesus. We've been praying for that son or daughter. When is this wayward prodigal going to come home? You know, my wife. I've been praying for our relationship. I've been going to re-engage even by myself, begging the Lord to let my wife come home. When is my wife going to come home? And so the question goes, man, when is my waiting going to be over? When is my six verses going to be over? And so the question comes up, is God going to heal my situation? Look at me very clearly this morning. Yes, Jesus is going to heal everybody. But don't miss this. In his own time. In his own time. For some of you, that's six verses later. For some of you, that's 20 years later. For some of you, that's the other side of heaven. But make no mistake, Jesus is going to heal everyone. 
Every paralytic will walk again. Every relationship will be restored again someday. Someday. It's been said that God is seldom early, but never late. This side of heaven or the other side of heaven, every paralytic will be healed and we have to trust it. That's our only option, by the way, is to trust God or just become an alcoholic and just drink your troubles away. We're not going to do that. So our only option is to trust the one who goes, hey, just trust me. I know what I'm doing. In the mid-1800s, there was a pastor who was really rising in popularity. In fact, so much so, he had, this is in the 1800s, by the way, he had to rent a music hall to hold the 12,000 people that came to hear him. It was one of the largest crowds ever gathered to hear a nonconformist preacher. And so as all these folks were coming in to hear God's word being taught, <clears throat> someone yells out, fire! The galleries are giving away. The place is falling. Got to remember, 12,000 people. Chaos broke loose inside. A balcony in the back collapsed. People trying to get into the building blocked the exit so the people trying to escape couldn't. People inside, eyewitnesses said the cries and the shrieks at this period were truly terrific. They pressed on. There was the dead and the dying, people crying. After it was all over, seven people had lost their life in this fire. 28 people were injured. The pastor who was there to preach the word didn't know what to do. It threw him into a depression, so much so it says he couldn't even get out of bed for days. This pastor said even the sight of a Bible brought him to tears, an utter distraction of his mind. The pastor almost quit the ministry. In fact, he said, it, may, it might well seem that the ministry, which promised to be so largely influential, was silenced forever. This pastor's name was Charles Spurgeon. And in the midst of all that, he, he, he said this quote. Maybe you've heard it. He says, God is too good to be unkind. He is too good to be unkind. He is too wise to be confused. If I cannot trace his hand, I can always trust his heart. God is too good to be unkind. God is too wise to be confused. If I cannot trace his hand, I can always trust, trust his heart. And so you got to know something today. If you're in the waiting, if you're in the six verses between your sins being forgiven and Jesus healing you, paralytic, keep trusting. God's not confused. God, God's not up there in heaven scrambling around going, man, what am I going to do with David's problem and Scott's problem? God sees it all. And he goes, man, just, I need you to trust me. I'm in the midst of doing something amazing. You can't see it. You don't have the perspective that I do. But if I allowed you to have that perspective, everything would change. Just like that magic eye picture. Everything would pop into place. And so what do we do? Here's the application. It's a simple one. We just trust him. It's the simplest application. It's the hardest application. How do you trust someone? You spend time with them. You abide with him. You get to know them. That, that's the only way, by the way. You can't just come to church and listen to someone else talk to you about God. That's like me sitting in this room trying to tell you about my wife. I can tell you her favorite color. I can tell you that what TV shows she likes to watch. I can tell you her characteristics. But you don't really know my wife. You just know what I tell you about my wife. The only way you can really know my wife and know how amazing and loving and tender she is is to come over to our house for a meal. Spend time with us. See the way she treats our children. See the way she'd love you and your family. 
And that's the only way. That's the only way you can get to know God is spend time with him. So I ask you, how are you doing in that? In the busyness of life, in the busyness of work and family, are you spending time with this guy? Are you connecting with him? Because that's how you get to know God. You, you trust him. C.S. Lewis said that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The reason that he says that is because C.S. Lewis knows what, hopefully we know, that what you think about God is important because what you think about God changes the way you think about everything else. What you think about God changes your perspective on everything. And so I hope this morning that as you live your life in your mess, the thing that you think nobody will help you with, the thing that you think Jesus is embarrassed about, that you would know that God loves you, he sees you. He touches the untouchable. And even in your mess, even if it's something you go, man, I've never told anybody this. I've never dealt with this. I said I would go to my grave with this. Jesus goes, that's not healthy. I want to help you. I want to give you freedom. That's what I'm in the business of. I'm in the business of fixing the unfixable. I want to fix you. Come to me. And then he also says, but don't just come to me. I want your heart. And I want you to trust me. I want you to know that I love you and I care for you. I don't want it, you to just hear some guy saying that. I want you to believe it. And then I want you to trust that your timing isn't my timing. You wear a watch. I don't. I don't need time. I'm God. And I'm in control. Lord, we love you. We praise you. I thank you for your word. I thank you that, I thank you, that you do touch lepers, people that are just at the bottom and I thank you, I'm one of those guys, and by your grace, you came into my life, and you touched me, and you healed me, and you're in the process of healing me, and I pray for friends in this room right now, maybe their heart's beating a million miles a minute, going, man, could God really heal me? Could he really do that in my life? Could he really cleanse me? And I pray today would be the day that they feel just an incredible amount of freedom. Yes, yes, you can, you want to, that's your desire. And I pray they would feel the freedom that comes from walking with you. I pray for friends here today that are in the midst of those six verses. They're waiting, and they've been praying and begging you for an answer. I pray that they would continue to trust you, that they would continue to give their heart to you. And by your grace, supernaturally, I pray that you would give them a peace that surpasses all understanding, and they would see your hand even in the midst of a situation where it just doesn't even seem you're in it. And Lord, we praise you. We thank you that you're that kind of God that touches the untouchable. We thank you that you're altogether different than us. And we love you and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.